0: Oh, hi, everybody. Ezra Levant here at our Rebel World Headquarters in Toronto. I call it World Headquarters because we're across the country. And for the past week or so, we've had a reporter at the border between Israel and Gaza. In fact, he's based in this town of Sterot, which was attacked and overrun by Hamas terrorists on October 7th. October 7th is their version of 9-11. In fact, proportionately, it was much more devastating to Israel than 9-11 was for America. 9-11 was horrific in many ways. But the actual attack on the Twin Towers, going from memory, I could get the precise number, I think it was about 3,000 people. Uh, Israel lost 1,400 people, and there's 200 more who are hostages, so 1,600 people, in a country of about 10 million citizens. So multiply by 30. And so you get about 45,000 would be the comparison if this were attack on the United States. Um, there is a few other differences, I think, qualitatively. Of course, the jumbo jets on 9-11 did aim for the Twin Towers as well as the Pentagon and the Capitol. The Pentagon, it hit a glancing hit. The Twin Towers, devastating hits. The attack on the, the Capitol Hill was actually frustrated because... Um, brave passengers by that time figured out what was happening and raided uh the cockpit and the plane crashed into a field, killing everyone aboard, but saving lives had it attacked the Capitol Hill. So obviously um three out of those four targets were civilian. In fact many of the workers of the Pentagon are civilian. But it was not such a Deliberate choice. I mean, obviously, those are enormous symbols of American power. They were. It was a choice to hit civilian targets, but the way Hamas attacked southern Israel, selecting infants, babies, seniors, entire families, live streamed the most barbaric atrocities, raping. I. You know, I heard things yesterday, but um, from. The briefing that the Israeli government had for about 200 foreign journalists, and I don't want to repeat some of them because I can barely think of them, let alone say them, raping children, breaking their pelvic bones, cutting off feet, gouging out eyes, the horrific, horrific brutality, the torture, like something Joseph Mengele would do, but even Mengele would say he was doing scientific studies the most horrific medical studies, but this was pure evil, seeking ecstasy by inflicting the most barbaric pain, killing parents and having the children in the blood of the parents before the parents are killed or the other way around, tying them together and burning them together. Atrocities that are pre-civilizational in their barbarity. You know, we've all heard of the 10 commandments and you've got to think, well, what was the world like, uh, that it required those 10 commandments? Um, the 10 commandments are, some of them are so basic. You've got to think, well, surely there was what was life like beforehand that required these. The first few of the 10 commandments are about God himself. You know, you'll have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. Remember the Sabbath, honor your mother and father. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against a neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. Those are pretty basic rules. But if you need to outline them, you can imagine a world um, where thou shalt not murder wasn't a rule don't covet your neighbor's wife, you could say, well, that's about adultery, or you could say that that's probably about rape as well. You can only imagine how barbaric the world was before the 10 Commandments. And um, the Jews, I mean, it was Moses who brought down the 10 Commandments, but there were seven laws that the Jewish tradition said applied to everyone in the world, not just Jews. And they're called the laws of Noah, who, of course, predated Moses. Noah was not a Jew, actually. He was before the Jews. And um, I'm going to listen to you. You can Google the seven laws of Noah. Don't worship idols. Don't curse God. Do not murder. Do not engage in rape. Do not steal. Do not eat flesh torn from a living animal. To me, that's one of the most terrifying ones. Imagine that. Imagine eating an animal, like keeping an animal alive while, while you're cutting it up and eating it. And then the last one is to establish courts of justice. And again, I'm thinking, well, what what kind of a civilization was so brutal and uncivilized and barbaric that they had to be told these things in, in the form of a law? Do not go up to an animal and start eating it. Do not do not like kill them first. Don't don't eat a live animal. Don't rape. Don't murder. We gotta write that down because apparently people here don't know it. Like these are ancient, ancient codes of morality. You can only imagine what life was like before. And we have some historic record of what life was like before, Genghis Khan, Tamerlane. You know, can you Google Tamerlane, T A M E R L A I N L A N E. Tamerlane. Do you know that name, Tamerlane? It's pretty obscure, isn't it? Tamerlane, I, I had never heard the name Tamerlane before. Yeah, Timmer is another name. Um, until I learned that was one of the names of the Boston bombers. Remember the Boston Marathon? There was some Islamic extremist terrorists who set off bombs at the Boston Marathon. And there were two brothers, uh, the Charnyev brothers, Tamerlane Charnyev and uh, I forget the other one's name. And let me read a little bit about Tamerlane. He was uh, 700 years ago, 600 years ago. He was a Turco-Mongol conqueror in the 14th century. He was regarded as one of history's greatest military leaders and strategists. He founded the Timurid Empire. The empire was large and included... Turkestan, Afghanistan, Persia, Syria, et etc. He conquered southern Russia, parts of India. He invaded Delhi. He called himself the Sword of Islam. Um, in 1402, his vast empire stretched from Izmir, which is in Turkey, to Xinjiang in the east. That's a that's Chinese um, province not related to Genghis Khan, but pl- claiming to be a successor, he caused the death of thousands of people. I think this, this summary has been bolderized. Um I think someone has gone in and edited this. That's the thing about Wikipedia. Because Tamerlane is actually the greatest murderer in the history of history. Perhaps in prehistoric times, there were people who killed more, but we don't have records of that. But Tamerlane killed 5% of the world. 5% of the world. He killed 5% of the world. I mean, think about what that would mean today. That would mean like someone killing 400 million people today. And he was brutal. And he was brutal on purpose. He wanted people, he wanted the whole world to be terrified of him. Um, 400 million people in today's proportion. I think back then the world was maybe a tenth the population it is now, if that. So it was only in the millions or the tens of millions not the hundreds of millions but i'm just trying to give you proportionately imagine one man who would wipe out in today's pr- proportions 400 million people and using the technology of 700 years ago um you know i'm sorry i didn't i'm sorry i sent you to to wikipedia it's obvious that his that would be like going to Uh, a Wikipedia page for Hitler and saying he was a great military strategist who conquered the world from France all the way to, you know, Albania or whatever. Yeah, that is part of what he did, but he did other things too. Tamerlane or Timur was actually most famous for murder. And that's why I thought it was interesting that one of the terrorists in the Boston Marathon bombing was named after the history's worst murderer. If you can find something on that, uh, my mistake for sending you to Wikipedia, um, I'm pretty sure that's what happened there, is that they tidied up that history of him. Um, Yeah, Jakar Tsarniev and his brother Tamerlane. Um, I'm just trying to say that what we have seen by Hamas the gleeful joy and the bragging associated with monstrous cruelty is a reminder that ancient demons are with us still, and we have created a disney version of the world where... Bad guys are just misunderstood. And if we can all just reason together, we'll all agree on something, some sort of compromise. And um, there'll probably be a McDonald's restaurant there and a Starbucks. And we'll make a, you know, we'll just remake Snow White in a way that's, you know, a little bit more woke. And we'll all find a happy consumer outcome. But that's not possible. That That is... Eurocentric, as they would say. That's, that is West-splaining. It goes back to what we talked about the other day with Howard Jacobson's, or uh, uh, is it uh, Howard or Harold Jacobson, the, the, the columnist for The Independent, who 22 years ago when Muslim terrorists blew up the nightclub in Bali said, do not replace the terrorist's explanation with your own just because you prefer your own. The cruelty was an essential an essential part of the attacks. Even Hitler hid the cruelty because there was something deep within Germany that he was not able to eradicate in the six years between when he took office. Yeah, for example, we're watching right now. Here's a tweet from the government of Israel. These sadistic monsters filmed their crimes against humanity with GoPros. And um, so this is literally... It looks like a video game, doesn't it? Except that's real. That those are real homes. You have a terrorist going house to house, murdering. I I think I've seen this one before. There's like a grandfather in there, and just he just murders him. And and that's just murder. That's just a bullet to the head. That's not the depraved violence. What this actually reminds me of. If you can, let me see if I can find something more about Tamerlane. Um, But it actually reminds me of, um, yeah, you know, I I just went to Encyclopedia Britannica um, for Tamerlane. Um, Timur, also spelled Tamerlane, was chiefly remembered for the barbarity of his conquests. I'm just on the Encyclopedia Britannica page. Legacy. Timur began his rise as a leader of a small nomad band, and by guile and force of arms, established dominion over certain lands, um, The poverty, bloodshed, and desolation caused by his campaigns gave rise to many legends, which in turn inspired such works as Tamerlane the Great. Um, He personally led his almost constant campaigning forces, enduring extremes of desert heat and lacerating cold. The seeds of victory were sown among the ranks of the enemy by his agents before an engagement. He conducted sophisticated negotiations with both neighboring and distant powers, which are recorded in diplomatic archives. In battle, the nomadic tactics of mobility and surprise were his major weapons of attack. Um, Anyway, so I won't read any more. I think uh, what I'm getting at is that if you... Uh, were born after the Second World War, which I'm sure everyone watching this was, because if you were, like, you'd have to be, I mean, unless you were an infant, like, if you, uh, unless you were born literally 100 years ago, all of your memories have been generally those of global peace. I mean, if you were born in 1930, so, you're, so you would be in your 90s now then you would have sort of a child's memory of the barbarism of the Second World War, not just the Holocaust, but the absolute massive carnage. In China, you would perhaps know about the the massive murders of tens of millions under Mao Zedong, much of which was through disease and famine. But really, if you were born after the Second World War, you could say you lived in the greatest era of peace in history. It was a cold war, that's for sure. But but the violent power of the atom bomb is precisely what ensured peace. For 50 years, the concept of mad, mutually assured destruction, ensured that the two great powers of of the age did not, in fact, go to war with each other. And life was certainly brutal under the Soviet empire, but it was not completely lawless. It was totalitarian, that's true. But you could live your life without being tortured, murdered, raped. There was a stability to it. Unless you were some sort of refusenik or freedom activist, and of course you would be um, arrested and possibly tortured and possibly killed, of course. But I'm saying... For an ordinary Russian or ordinary Ukrainian, or I'm talking about the whole Soviet empire, which included now independent countries, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Georgia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan. There was all all these former Soviet republics. Some of them had more or less authoritarianism than others. Some were particularly brutal, Albania, Romania. But there was a... A kind of security if you did not quarrel with the state you could live generally unmolested you would have a poor life an unfree life a life of fear but you would not have the violence of Tamerlane or the violence of the Nazis so even those under Soviet domination had some sort of security Obviously, we, we, we despise what the Soviets did and their secret police killed countless and imprisoned more. But the kind of pre-civilizational, pre-Ten Commandments, pre-Noahide law, cruelty. Honestly, it reminds me visually of the Aztec sacrifices. Can you call up some B-roll of Mel Gibson's movie Apocalypto. We've talked about this movie before. One of the reasons I like Mel Gibson so much is that he understands Christianity not just as a religion, but as a religion that replaced and displaced other belief systems. Uh, that's powerfully evident in his movie, The Passion of the Christ. One of the most shocking things about the Passion of the Christ was when the Romans scourged Jesus, when they whipped him bloody, when they beat him and and tortured him, and even put the crown of thorns on him. It wasn't just the physical violence that Mel Gibson was showing. It was the social, psychological, aesthetic, cultural violence that pre-Christianity permitted. And Jesus' astonishing uh, response of bearing that violence um, to suffer for for the sins of man, if I understand the Christian theology. I think that's one of the reasons why Mel Gibson made that movie the way he did. And in that movie, there's this demonic figure that I don't think you'll find in the Bible ne- necessarily, but it's Mel Gibson's vision. Uh, yeah, go ahead and show the passion. Just absolutely, like, of course he would look like that. He'd been whipped. He was abused. He was wearing a crown of thorns. You think they just were a little bit prickly? It was an actual crown of thorns. And there's, an, uh, this. I mean, it was an R-rated movie, by the way. You'd think a Christian movie would be PG. But, but Mel Gibson wanted you to see what the suffering of Jesus would have been like. And of course it would have been this brutal. It was beautifully, the horror of it was beautifully presented, if that can be a, if that can be a thing. It was, it was terrifying and riveting and painful to watch. Hey, while you're, while you're in the passion, can you do the passion demon? Because Mel Gibson adds a little flourish. His own religious, religious approach is slightly non-standard. And um, he adds this demonic figure in occasional scenes. It's his interpretation of what a demon would look like Um, in another video you had there, there there was a, uh, it was a daytime video where the demon was present in in another one on the list there. Yeah. The second one. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. Yeah. Show that one there. So here you have Christ being whipped and you'll see the demon pass by the, yeah. You see that demon baby, the demon and the demons baby. What is that all about? That's a recurring figure in the movie. And I think that's, yeah, I think that is Mel Gibson's idea of what evil looks like compared to what Jesus looks like and compared to what Mary looked like. Like that bizarre Man child demon. That's not, that's not, like, that's his artistic license, I think. And you correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not a Christian myself, so I don't know um, the Bible as closely as I should. But what's Mel Gibson getting at? He's getting at Christianity displaced something, Christianity is at odds with something. The phrase turn the other cheek. The whole concept of love, I don't mean romantic love, I mean brotherly love or love for a stranger, the good Samaritan forgiving, let ye without sin cast the first stone. This was in opposition, this was in response, this was a remedy to the pain, violence, and hate of the world that preceded it. Like Tamerlane the Terrible, Wikipedia says, "Oh, he was a great military strategist." Yes, he certainly was. And he also killed 5% of the world. The greatest killer of all time. Barbaric cruelty. And I want to while we're talking about Mel Gibson, I want to show you one more thing because it explains why he made the movie Apocalypto. Apocalypto like The Passion I'm sure it's an R-rated movie. It has another commonality with The Passion in that it is filmed in a dead language. There's not a word of English in The Passion. They speak Roman, Greek, or Aramaic, uh, an early version of, you know, version of Hebrew. And in, and in Apocalypto, which you're seeing on the screen here, they speak, I don't know the name of the language, And this is in Tenochtitlan, I presume, where certain other tribes of uh, indigenous people were captured and were brought to the big city. And why were they brought there? They were brought there to be sacrificed on those pyramids. What do you think those pyramids in... Mexico were made for. They were temples of sorts. Yeah, show this part when they were taking them up. So they were taking these slaves, they were painted blue in the movie. Again, this is Mel Gibson's artistic license. We do have some reports on what it was like because one of the conquistadors, Bernal Diaz, wrote a diary. So here are the men And those are the priests, and what, what they're covered in blood, and that's the emperor or whatever. And one after another, they're sacrificed. And, and let's make sure we turn away before that actually happens. But they did indeed kill, murder, brutally torture, thousands, hundreds of thousands maybe millions of other tribes, other indigenous peoples. Like it was a constant state of war. It was what the it was what Thomas Hobbes, the philosopher, said about life before society, that it was nasty, brutish and short. I recommend the movie Apocalypto. I emphasize its R rating. It, it is a movie about what life was like in 1491, let's say. And in that scene, you saw some faces. There are some, like it is a. in the context of this brutal world. It was also an exciting story. It was an action story. It was a love story. It was, uh, there was a chase scene through the jungle. there's, You know what? Can you do me a favor? Can you go apocalypto, uh, child? Because there's just like there was that demonic figure in in the Passion. Mel Gibson created this character. Uh, Yeah, that second second video there. There's this pestilence. There's this sickness, and the heroes pass by this child. Yeah, these are the slaves. They were all captured. Oh, I wish that the... the, uh, So these are the slaves being taken to Tenochtitlan, And I forget what she says, like the captions in this version are not in English, but she's warning them against a pestilence. She's warning them about a great evil. She wants to hug them, but they're worried that they'll get some disease that she has, so they push her away. I'm sorry, I wish I knew what the subtitle said. I don't remember them off by heart, but Mel Gibson plants these little symbols in his movies. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert now, because I'm going to spoil the movie for you. If you haven't watched it, I'm going to explain to you if it's not already obvious why Mel Gibson made a movie about Aztecs and human sacrifice and cutting out the hearts of their victims' lives, which, is, by the way, is what ISIS did. And it sounds like Hamas terrorists did similar things when they attacked Israel two and a half weeks ago. Why would Mel Gibson make an obscure dead language movie with no known actors. So did you recognize any of those faces in that movie, Apocalypse? of course you did. Now you may have recognized some of the actors in the Passion of the Christ. James Caviezel, who played Jesus, is, is, I'd call him a B-list actor. He's a good actor. He's just not super famous. Uh, Monica Bellucci, one of the most beautiful actresses um, of the 80s and 90s and thousands, I guess. was in it too like there were some quote famous actors and actresses in the passion but of course you don't know any of the actors in apocalypto Uh, they they were speaking an indigenous language they they look the part can you find on YouTube the final scene of apocalypto I think if you just say apocalypto final scene you'll know what I mean Why would Mel Gibson make this movie? Other than it's visually stunning, I think it won an Oscar for costume design or set design or something. Like it's the best imagination of what Tanukta would have looked like. Yeah, so put this on the screen here. So they've been, they had this final battle, this final chase in the jungle. As you can see, this is the hero here. He's trying to reunite with his wife and their new baby and they're chasing, they're running in the jungle. It's a downpour. And they come to the coast and they see something they've never seen before. They've never seen ships before. They've never seen those flags before. They've never seen horses before. They've never seen men with oars. They've never seen men with those hats. They've never seen men with that color of skin before. Who are those men? And what do they want? And it ends here. They go deeper into the jungle. I said this, spoiler alert, that's what it is. So here he he encounters his wife and baby who have been hiding from the slave traders. There's his wife and baby. He's going to rescue them. And what do they do? They go deeper into the jungle. It's actually a love story, terrifying. It's a happy ending in terms of, yeah. So he rescues his newborn baby. And they go deeper into the jungle. Thanks very much. As you can see, it's an absolutely beautiful movie visually, but it's also absolutely terrifying. The wars amongst the various tribes Again, he imagines, we all know, that there was human sacrifice on those Aztec pyramids. That's what they were for. So what would that have looked like? In a city, Tenochtitlan was an enormous city. It would have had hundreds of thousands of people in it at its height. I think Bernal, can you Google Bernal, B-E-R-N-A-L, Diaz, D-I-A-Z now Diaz. He um I think the book's called The Conquest of New Spain. Yeah, just just click on click on uh even the cover of it. I think that was perhaps the most interesting book I read in uh, Yeah, just show the cover. That yellow thing. The most interesting book I read in undergrad. Absolutely riveting every single page. Absolutely, it was obviously written in Spanish, translated into English. The Conquest of New Spain by Bernal Diaz. He was there. When this ragtag group of a few hundred conquistadors, and some of them were misfits, and some of them were criminals, some of them were adventure seekers. They were the best and the worst and they, they managed to subvert an entire subcontinent. That's what I'm calling Mexico. Through violence, through negotiation, through, through technology, and through disease, they brought with them diseases that were unknown in the New World to which the Aztecs had no resistance, no natural immunity. And I think it's clear that one of the main reasons the Conquistadors were successful was because there was essentially a, a wide-ranging civil war in Mexico and uh, the Aztecs were overstretched. Now I'm, I'm forgetting some of the details, difference between the Aztecs and the Mayans and the different groups, so forgive me if my particular details, I haven't read that book um, in over 25 years. But I, I couldn't get enough of that book, how, how vividly he told the story. And I, I was taught that course, Latin American History, which was, a, which was a strange course for me to sign up for. I was in business school, and then I went on to law school. I have no idea why I signed up for Latin American History, but it was the most interesting course I took. My professor was amazing, and this book was the center of it. And there's a lot of criticism of the conquistadors and the colonization of South America, of course. Um, by the way, there's another amazing movie in English. Can you throw on the um, can you throw on the mission with Jeremy Irons? Just give me some b-roll of the mission? Now that's a hell of a movie uh, Robert de Niro, Jeremy Irons. it's... I guess it would take place maybe a hundred years later or fifty years later, um, in the rainforest, where the church is evangelizing, yeah, I just throw that on the screen, and trying to convert these folks to Catholicism. And there's a love story here. There's dramatic knights in armor here. They're putting a priest on a cross, and they're throwing him over the Iguazu Falls. Um, There's that priest played by Jeremy Irons. It's a hell of a movie. It's called The Mission. Absolutely beautiful soundtrack. Soundtrack by Ennio Morricone. Robert De Niro at his at his prime. Yeah, put it back on. They were they were punishing. They like they were. Anyway, it's it's about the battles for New Spain, and. You know the heroes are are the, the priests who were trying to do the right thing by these uh, people in the middle of the jungle, but there were larger political battles over who got what resources, who got what land. I mean, there was enormous riches. the The richest silver mine in all of history was, I think, in Peru. There was so much silver it caused global inflation. Like it was, it was. I you know I am not going to guess the maybe let's look it up here peru silver mine and and by the way one of the things the conquistadors did is they seized i think it was montezuma himself kidnapped him and held him hostage and said we'll we'll let him free if you give us his weight in gold they had so much gold and silver these parts so i've just been on a 10-minute meander why would i show you that why would mel gibson make apocalypto why would he have what a 90-minute movie of the brutality of being a slave in pre-columbus central america well and why would he show those Christian conquistadors at the end? They were, they were conquistadors. They were swashbuckling soldiers of fortune, but they also brought with them religion. They brought with the missionaries. That second movie I showed you was called the mission. So these countries were conquered and economically they were made to submit to the Spanish and the Portuguese empire. And the French were in the Caribbean also, Haiti, Martinique, and the British, obviously. There was an enormous rush to colonize the world. And here we are in 2023, and we talk about decolonization and how colonialism was evil. But Mel Gibson, and he made that, when did he make that movie, Apocalypse? That's got to be 20 years ago now. 2006, almost 20 years ago, that was his defense of the Christian side of of empire. Because I think you watch this brutal, horrific, visually shocking, violent, torturous, barbaric, pre-civilization civilization. Yes, the Aztecs were a mighty civilization. In their own way, they were a great civilization. But if you watch that movie, you cannot but come to the conclusion that Mel Gibson did that they were an, a horrific, brutal civilization that mass-murdered people and sacrificed them to sun gods. In fact, the apex of the movie is when there is an eclipse. It's a shocking moment, Um In the movie, it's an incredible moment in the movie where the entire Aztec Empire is stunned by this eclipse. Did they do something wrong? Are the gods punishing them? What does it mean? And if you don't have, if you you worship the sun and the sun goes out in the middle of the day, or if you worship other pagan gods, and if your form of worship is human sacrifice you have the brutally violent life that is depicted in the first 90% of that movie, first 95, 99% of that movie. And I believe, and obviously I've never talked to him about it, but I believe that the reason Mel Gibson, who was a very serious Christian and Catholic, I think the reason he made The Passion of the Christ is he wanted to tell that story from his own religious point of view. And he infused it with his visual imagination of what it would be like to torture Christ I think his motivation for making Apocalypto was to remind the world cinematically that whatever ills or flaws came with the Catholic Church and came with the conquistadors and came with the missionaries and came with the conversions of South America to Catholicism, whatever brutality was done in Christianity's name, whatever the flaws were, It replaced a psychopathic, murderous regime. A pre-civilization. Now, again, they were a mighty civilization. They had military technology. They had agricultural technology. They had astronomical technology. They had military technology. They had diplomatic. They had all sorts of technologies that you would say, well, that is a rich culture indeed. And they were mass murderers. And they had this pagan cult that they thought, well, we'll just murder more people and cut their living, beating hearts out of their chests, and that will appease our gods. And I do believe that the reason Mel Gibson made Apocalypto, it was his way of saying, no, that was horrific. And what came later, despite whatever disadvantages may have stowed away with the missionaries, what came later was emphatically, incredibly exponentially better and more moral and more life uh, preserving and life encouraging and more human than what it replaced would you agree with me and I think if you watch the movie Apocalypto from beginning to end I know we've talked about this before so forgive me for indulging myself with with a, a walk through some of my favorite movies again and I know some of you said that's you talked about *Apocalypto* before why are you talking about it again Because what we saw in Southern Israel two and a half weeks ago was of a level of barbarity that the world has not seen in centuries, sometimes in millennia. But I'm afraid the natural state of man is nasty, brutish, and short. There's a saying, I forget who said it, that you basically got 18 years, a baby is born and you've got 18 years to educate and acculturate the barbarity out of him. Born a little barbarian, what is it? a child is born, tabula rasa, and uh, if he could do, you know, if a one or two year old could do what he wanted, he would smash everything he could. You know, before babies are taught manners, before babies are taught right and wrong, before they're taught how to be a person, before they're taught self-control, a baby in a tantrum would destroy everything, would smash everything. What's that Marvel character who snaps his fingers and terrible destruction comes? I I haven't watched any of those movies. But um, you basically have 14, 16, 18 years to take a baby and to tell him how to be a man, how to be a woman, how to be a citizen, how to be in control of yourself, what's right and wrong. You got 18 years, maybe only 16, maybe only 14 years. Because the, because a baby who was born is not born good. I mean, they're born pure, but they can be, if they are not shown the right path, they can be as barbaric as an Aztec child sacrificer. They can be as barbaric as Timur the Great. So great he killed 5% of the world. So great that one of the Boston... Marathon bomber terrorist was named after him, I guess. And so what happened in Israel two and a half weeks ago is not stomped out forever like, oh, we eradicated polio. Oh, we eradicated malaria or whatever. We eradicated um, smallpox. It was an anomaly. We got rid of it. Never again will there be smallpox unless it's cooked up in some Bill Gates lab You can't just eradicate barbarism because it is in the human heart. It has You have 14, 16, 18 years to train the human heart and mind to reject it, to control it. You know, the, the Greeks said, know thyself. The Jews said, control thyself. The Christians said, give thyself. I think it was sort of an ideological harmony to those But not everyone believes in that. Not everyone believes in control yourself. And certainly not everyone believes in give yourself. And what's terrifying for me about the last two and a half weeks is not just the pure barbarism that we observed in southern Israel, but it's the glee in the West, in the civilized West the glee in toronto and ottawa and montreal and calgary and edmonton and vancouver in chicago in la in new york in washington dc in in minneapolis in london england terrifying in paris in berlin in milan in berlin in stockholm all of the cities i've just listed are in the christian west aren't they in the post-historic West, we're all supposed to be Disney consumers eating our McDonald's and uh, logging onto the internet and uh, downloading Netflix or whatever. Like we're supposed to be post-historic, right? We're, we're supposed to be in this steady state after it's all done. All the bad things are done. The bad things are in the past. We are the height, highest heights of civilization. But I think what has been the revelation for me in the last two weeks is that for a lot of people, that was just a facade beneath their happy face. You know, I mean, there's this, uh, there's an Islamist that Trudeau appointed, his chief of Islamophobia. Her name is Amira El-Gawabi, if I'm getting her name right. And, and for years, she had a move. She would go on TV shows, and she would wear a hijab, and she would, she would bring on the set with her a Tim Horton's cup just always Tim Hortons and have a sip because that was her way of saying hey guys I'm a Canadian I just happen to wear a hip jacket I'm a Canadian I love Tim Hortons just like you we got so much in common like I say the post-industrial post-everything world post-national world we're just consumers did you see uh the latest episode of this show I don't even know what the current shows are did you see Dancing with the Stars? Did you see The Voice? Did you see American Idol? You know, I'm, I'm showing that I don't even know what the, the hot shows are these days. You're drinking Tim Hortons? Of course you are, because you're just like me. But she and so many others have shown that, that that was just a surface, that's just a veneer. And underneath it, that barbarism lurks. October 7th, the nine, Israel's 9-11 was about cruelty and barbarism and we knew immediately about the rapes and the tortures and the kidnappings because it was live streamed. The very first tweet I saw about it, I was with my family on Thanksgiving and I wasn't really paying attention to Twitter and I saw that the Ayatollah of Iran had tweeted a video showing hundreds of Israeli teens and 20-somethings running in a field away from terrorists. They were at that outdoor dance party. And I looked at the video and I just saw a few lines about the, the Ayatollah set. And I didn't, like I just said, okay, a bunch of people running. What is that even? I didn't even understand. I just glanced at it because I was with my family. I, um, the very first note I saw about Israel's 9-11 was a tweet from the Ayatollah um, about children being massacred. He was so proud of that. Children being massacred. The first thing, and so all the rallies of, of exhilaration and exuberance were based on the massacre and slaughter and rape and torture and kidnapping of women and children, of civilians. It, like I say that day, Israel was not defeated. There is no Palestinian state. Uh, Gaza, life has not improved. There's it, The Palestinian state has not been recognized. The United Nations, it does not have... You know, there was no quantifiable step forward other than the massacre of Jews. And and don't say Israelis or Zionists, because if you read the Hamas charter, it says Jews. It also mentions Israel and Zionism. But again and again and again, we showed it the other day, I think 16 times it talks about killing the Jews, Jews. And that was the cause for celebrations around the world. Now these Hamas rallies talk about, well, don't, Israel shouldn't fight back, and Israel did this, and Israel did that. But never forget that the, the the jubilation in the days that followed, the rallies in the days that followed, were reacting only to one thing, the slaughter of 1,400 Jews and the kidnapping of 200 more. One of the very first images was a woman being raped, who had just been raped. You could see the blood on our pants. She was taken in a back to Gaza, one of the very first images was of the dead body of another young woman being driven around the back of a pickup truck while other Gazans would physically hit the body and spit on it and and defile the dead body. That was what was being celebrated. That is how Timmerlane would have done it 720 years ago. A man who, despite the attempt to clean up his biography on Wikipedia, I should have known better than going that site, he murdered a greater percentage of people than anyone else in world history. Yeah, I hate to say it. Here is here is one of the first images I saw of a woman. You can see she has been raped. She is being paraded around Gaza. They're filming it, they're live streaming it. This is the celebration. This is what Hamas wanted you to see. That's barbarism like they had in pre-Columbus Central America. It's barbarism like they had under Timur or Timur Lane, the, the world's greatest killer. And to see that celebrated in the Christian West by two kinds of people, by woke white people who have been taught to hate their own homelands, and by people who have come to the West from these horrific places and have, like Amira El-Gawabli, only a veneer of liberalism to them. And when push comes to shove, they'll side with the murder of their historic enemies, their genetic enemies, to kill children who are morally n- not culpable of anything. The children, babies, in one horrific case, to cut a baby out of its pregnant mother's body and behead the fetus, which is one is one of the things that happened. That is a stone age level of barbarism. That is like the child sacrifice of the Aztecs. That is like the pure monstrous cruelty of lane And that's what has caused me the most concern in the last 10 or 17 days, however long it's been. I'm worried about World War III. I'm worried about the gathering storm. I'm worried about Iran and Russia and Turkey and Hezbollah and Hamas. I'm worried about all that. I'm worried that Joe Biden is the worst leader possible for that. I'm worried that the US military is weakened, not just in terms of its equipment and its ammunition, but in its morale. And I, I'm worried about China entering the fray. I'm worried about all of these things, but what actually causes me the, the greatest worry is the home front here, that we now know we have in our institutions, in every university, in many city halls, in many parliaments and legislatures. Thousands, tens of thousands, I would say hundreds of thousands of of barbarians. And I'm not just saying that, oh, he's such a barbarian. (laughs) No, I mean actual barbarians. I mean actual people who are fine with murder, who love murder, who celebrate murder. Hey, can you get that girl with the AK-47 earrings? Our friend David Menzies encountered a woman who was wearing machine gun earrings. And he asked her about the horrific violence. And she basically, I'm going from memory here, we'll play the clip in a second. Um, You can even get the one from Twitter. It's it's the most succinct. Um, Or you can find the YouTube version and just get right to the part of it. She says... That didn't happen, and if it happened, they deserved it. That's quite a logical fork. They would call that a fork in chess. Either way, we got gotcha. You know, in, in chess, if you make a move and they have to lose one piece or the other, that's called a fork. So this pro-Hamas woman, who I think was born in Canada, she has a tiny bit of an accent, but I think that's just like a Mississauga accent. So, You can't blame some foreign government for operating. She's a Canadian. And she's wearing the the machine gun earrings and she's wearing a machine gun shirt that says never give up your gun. But she's not a firearms, you know, Second Amendment type. She's a kill the Jews type. And here, let's play what she has to say. Take a listen.
1: Terrorist group. Oh, it isn't ma'am. First of all, Hamas is not oh, okay. a terrorist group. I, 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 Hamas I, I'm, I'm, is, but, well, is what, not a terrorist group. What is it? Like a it motorcycle a resistance, club? Or? It is a resistance that has been fuming for 75 years of colonialism, of occupation, of murder, of rape, of little children, of women. That's what they are. They are a resistance. Do you think Canada is everything, a colonialist country too? Everything or? that they do is justified. Every Including what thing. happened last week every single thing they have done is justified ma'am. There were children murdered. There were babies beheaded oh. Babies beheaded really? Please educate yourself Please, Please. check the news okay. because as as a news reporter you got to check the fucking news okay. because they said that that shit was fake okay multiple times Different channels, different, even Biden himself, his his ministers and his idiots said himself that that news was fake. There's no 40 beheaded babies. And there were no no 1,300 deaths in Israel? There's no evidence. There's no evidence. There's no photos whatsoever. Hamas is a Muslim, a Muslim group. They would never do that because it's it's against Islam. That's number one. And that's something that they show. Do you really believe that? There is evidence of Israeli women saying that they... It gave
0: us you can watch the whole clip but you see the fork everything they did was justified everything they did was justified oh and also they didn't do it and islam would never tolerate that well it's in the hamas charter and i wonder what tamerlane would say that's what worries me that woman on the streets of mississauga worries me um hey let's uh let's run some ads and then we'll come right back and i'll read super chats if we got them so i'll see you in a minute
1: come on out november 25th it's all aboard the freedom train in niagara on the lake you can check rebel news for updates and also the freedom passport site tamara leach who led the truckers convoy will be sharing the stage with some of the finest international recording artists Like the Chop's Horns from New York City, who's played with Alicia Keys, Stevie Wonder, the Rolling Stones, and many more. Plus, New World Sun just off a European tour. And the legendary R&B master, Leroy Manuel. Get on the Freedom Train with Tamara Leach. Saturday, November 25th at Niagara-on-the-Lake Central Community Center, 680 York Road. Get your tickets today at freedompassport.ca. The Freedom Train is coming. Know your rights, know your freedoms. Hey, Ben Shapiro here. This November, the Wilberforce Project is bringing me to Canada. If you want to fight the woke machine destroying families, join me in Calgary for my talk, hosted by the Wilberforce Project. Go to benshapirolive.ca for info and tickets. Do you want to start feeling like your pre-COVID self again? You're not alone. The wellness company Spike Support Formula is an all-natural supplement to help people do just that. It was created by cardiologist Peter McCullough and his expert team of doctors to help the people experiencing effects from COVID and the you-know-what. Go to twc.health slash rebel today. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. After years, I'm finally coming to Canada. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist. I've trained in epidemiology. The FDA wanted to block the Pfizer dossier for 55 years. 50% of the lives at that time could have been saved. We were at about 250,000 deaths. Red Deer, Thursday, November 9th. Get tickets at canadiansfortruth.ca. See you Thursday, November 9th.
0: Welcome back. I, uh, I just wanted to talk about barbarism. Because I think sometimes there's a modern, there's a bias about the modern. We know better than any generation past. We're obviously more enlightened. We're more evolved than the past. Oh, ha ha, there's old grandpa again. Doesn't he know? He's so gauche. He, you know, he, he's so uncool. He's so unhip. Look at how he dresses. He says, you know, he, he, he doesn't use the most up-to-date lingo. He's so old-fashioned. When you tear down statues of John A. MacDonald, when you rename streets like Dufferin Street, when you rename Ryerson University, because they weren't exquisitely perfect, <clears throat> Dufferin... There's a big street in Toronto called Dufferin, who was actually against the slave trade, and he was working to have it uh, abolished, but the slave economy was so enormous. By the way, every single continent in the world, other than Antarctica, had slavery in it. We just showed you an artist's depiction, Mel Gibson, of what slavery was like in Central America. When slavery was abolished in Canada... The greatest number of slaves were Indian bands having other Indian bands as slaves. The slave economy was an important part of Canadian indigenous warfare and economy. Obviously there were slaves in Africa, in the Middle East, in Asia, in Europe. Um, the West did not invent slavery. It was the first to abolish it, and America itself had a civil war, in large part, in opposition to slavery. Lost almost a half a million lives. It was British Christians who, against the economic interests of the British Empire, dedicated that empire to abolish the slave trade within the empire and then to go further and to deploy its Navy to hunt down other slave ships, the West Africa squadron. Could you Google West Africa squadron and just put it up on the screen for a second? For 50 years, the Royal Navy after it abolished slavery within the empire patrolled along the West coast of Africa not fighting against other countries. They were stopping slave ships. They would capture the slave ships, kill the slavers, release the slaves, and impound the ships. For 50 years they did that. No other country or empire in world history has ever done that. Anyways, let's read some Super Chats. Snowy Roof, five bucks. I'm sorry, Ezra, but why have you taken over the news show for your monologue? It's a good point. I just felt like scratching some itches there. I had some things I wanted to say, and I felt like saying them. Um, I do actually have in my hand here a list of news stories that I should have got to instead. Fraser McBurney, a criminal illegal migrant enters Canada. We give them food, hotel room, and $2,200 a month. Meanwhile, a multi-generation Canadian like me gets $1,900 a month of pension. Should I become an illegal immigrant? Well, I mean, uh, it's just astonishing. Um, I read the other day that something like 30,000 criminals have uh, like illegal Migrants who were ordered deported because they were criminals have simply been lost in Canada And that's how many they're willing to admit to Yeah, listen to in to the first question there. I uh, I thought I'd give you my opinions on things. I thought I would make a comparison I thought I would stretch my legs a bit to give you a comparison between Barbarism in prehistory and what we're seeing today I talked about the Ten Commandments. I talked about the seven laws of Noah. I imagined what life was like before those that would have made it so horrific. We needed to codify those things. Then I showed you two visual images, both by Mel Gibson, that I thought were works of imagination that captured the world when it was nasty, brutish, when life was nasty, brutish, and short. First of all, the violence done to Jesus. And secondly, the violence done by the Aztec empire, both of which Mel Gibson would say were remedied by Christianity. I talked about how we like to think we're so modern and more evolved, but really every generation has 14, 16, 18 years, whatever it is, choose your number, let's say 18, has 18 years to train the barbarism out of a newborn. And you can lose your civilization in one generation. And what we've done is we have turned our own institutions of liberal education away from liberal education towards illiberal indoctrination, where we teach people to hate their own societies and we teach newcomers to hate the society that has given them such a warm welcome. To this day, the entire world wants to come to Canada, United States, United Kingdom, other Western places. It's by far a better place to live than many of the countries these folks come from. And of course, some of them are deeply grateful to be here. I mean, some of the most, the best Canadians I know have fled here from horrific regimes. My late friend Tara Krata, my friend Raheel Raza, just to name two friends who came here from Pakistan. They prefer the liberty, the secular uh, pluralism of Canada. Others come here just keep their head down they're not particularly ideological but others come here frankly to colonize to use their language and to despise the country that has given them everything I think it's a form of national suicide that Canadian born youth are taught to hate their own country that's what critical studies are that's cultural Marxism that's decolonization that's all the gender studies queer studies you know grievance studies it's all about the the final chapter in all of those stories is what we frankly it's it's a violent ends what do you think land back what do you think getting rid of the settlers means in the very end so that's why we were talking about that i will have a monologue tonight where i talk about other things i'm going to talk about some new opinion polls showing where Justin Trudeau is in the polls. A little flicker of hope there. And I'll be back tomorrow and I I might decide to share with you my deep thoughts about barbarism or I might go through the news of the day. There's certainly a lot of it. One more chat, I'll read and then we'll let you go. Let me just scroll down here. Memory Hole says, I know it's wrong, but I wanted Gaza bombed until the sand fused to glass. Thank you for reminding me the response to these Nazi psychos is not more evil. There are many people in Gaza who have been taught since a very young age to hate the Jews. They teach it in schools. Uh, Obviously, Hamas controls the media. They're taught to hate the Jews, and they actually don't know any Jews because there are no Jews in Gaza. Um, all they get is propaganda. So it is a fact that there are a lot of ordinary people in Gaza that absolutely hate the Jews. Frankly, there's a lot of people in Syria, Afghanistan, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, that hate the Jews too. And by the way, we don't vet those people when they come to Canada or the United States. We just don't. We don't ask them how they are about a pluralistic society. We don't use words like integration or assimilation anymore. But um, I think Hamas itself, as a terrorist organization, has to be destroyed from the top to the bottom. I think that's an urgent first priority problem. But how do you have a medium term solution? Let's say you destroy Hamas, let's say you kill thousands of its terrorists, destroy its infrastructure, its ammunition its command and control structure, make it impossible for it to to do again what it did before. Okay, well, what are you going to do with Gaza? Israel left Gaza in 2005. Israel does not want to rule over Gaza. So who's going to rule over Gaza and not recolonize it as a terrorist base camp again? That's a difficult question that has to be resolved. Probably doesn't have to be resolved right now, but it will have to be resolved. Um, Maminka, 15 bucks, says, Okay, Ezra, this was, thanks, Ezra. This was riveting once, I see to say. Memory Hole, 10 bucks. I hope someday you can return to boring us with Shakespearean soliloquies. <laughs> you know what? I should tell you that um, I have been, you know, you know our book, 1984 that we republished, as you know, the book 1984 is in the public domain, so we republished it with some artwork. Can I tell you what I've been working on in the same vein? You're gonna laugh so hard at me. Um, I've been working on a, on a book of poems, not my own, don't worry. I'm not gonna share with you my, my uh, limericks. That's the only poem I know how to write. Um, but I've been wor- I've been trying mm. to select a group of poems that I think rebel viewers uh, should get to know. Some of them are from Shakespeare, some are from Kipling. There's a Yeats poem in there, you can probably guess which one. Um, so I've been working on sort of a, a bibliography, not a bibliography, I've been working on a list of poems that I thought we would publish. As sort of the Rebel News Book of Poetry. Does that sound too crazy? What do you think, Olivia? Is that a really bad idea? You think it's a good idea? Um, because a lot of my friends don't know Kipling. They don't know Dane Geld. Let's end on Dane Geld. Can we do that? Can you call up Dane Geld, the poem by Kipling? I'm not gonna read The Stranger because it's too too depressing. But I wanna read to you a poem by Kipling called Geld. And then I'll say goodbye. It's 2.13 Eastern time. So Kipling was a poet who was most prolific around 100 years ago, a little bit more than that. And uh, he was born in India. He wrote The Jungle Book. He he wrote a great story that's turned into a great movie called The Man Who Would Be King, Sean Connery, uh, Michael Caine, just a Wonderful! I've seen that movie five times. I can't get enough of it. He wrote that very karma. Uh, sorry, that very um, yeah, that very eastern poem called "If." You know that one? If you can keep your wits while all those around you are losing theirs, or something. That's he. That's probably his most famous poem. But he wrote a poem called "Dangelt," and just to let you know, um, by Danes he he means Vikings. Stone Age Vikings, really, or I guess they were past the Stone Age. They, uh, they had steel weapons. Um, it's probably Bronze Age or something, maybe Iron Age. Can I read to you Geld by Kipling? It's always a temptation to an armed and agile nation to call upon a neighbor and to say, we invaded you last night. We are quite prepared to fight unless you pay us cash to go away. And that is called asking for Dane geld. And the people who ask it explain that you've only to pay them the Dane geld, and then you'll get rid of the Dane. And by the way, that's what the Vikings actually did. They would invade a town. They'd say, we're going to burn your town to the ground, rape your women, sack your place, or just pay us, and we'll go away. So Kipling says, it's always a temptation for a rich and lazy nation to puff and look important and to say that we know we should defeat you. We have not the time to meet you we will therefore pay you cash to go away. And that is called paying the Dane geld. But we've proved it again and again, that if you once have paid him the Dane geld, you never get rid of the Dane. It is wrong to put temptation in the path of any nation for fear they should succumb and go astray. So when you are requested to pay up or be molested, you will find a better policy to say, we never pay anyone Dane geld, no matter how trifling the cost. For the end of that game is oppression and shame, and the nation that plays it is lost. That's Kipling's poem called Dane Gelt. Basically about it being extorted. About, well, you know, we could fight, but let's just pay them what they want. Well, you know, they took hostages, and we can just give them some concessions. Well, yeah, once you pay the Dane Gelt, you'll never get rid of the Dane. If you let the Vikings invade your town and say we're going to murder and rape and steal or just give us the cash and we won't murder and rape, they're going to do that every year. And you might think you're being clever by not fighting and just paying, but once you pay the Dane guild, you'll never get rid of the Dane. By the way, I, I very much like the Danes. <laughs> I like the Danes uh, these days. I, uh, I'm not sure if I would have liked the, the Vikings of a 1,000 years ago um, and, and some of their brutal violence. And that's what I'm talking about, is that the nature of man is no different now than it was a 1,000 or 10,000 or 20,000 years ago. I mean, Cain and Abel, violence and murder. You cannot breed that out of mankind. It is in us. And utopians think we can create a new man. Utopians think we can move beyond our nature to a perfect society, a perpetual peace. But you know what the word utopia means in Greek? It means a place that doesn't exist. It means no place. And I think that we've had a holiday from history, not just the last generation of post Cold War, but even in its own way, the Cold War, because. We lived and felt peaceful and protected even though there were thousands of nuclear missiles pointed at us from the Soviets. It was obvious that the doctrine of mutually assured destruction was in effect and the world was sort of frozen. The Cold War in some ways froze to different parts. There were skirmishes in Vietnam or Korea or Afghanistan or the Middle East. There were skirmishes where the two great divides fought through proxies. Yes, it's true, but I I felt like and I, and I say this as someone who was born in 1972, right in the middle of the Cold War. It was generally a peaceful and hopeful feeling. Every once in a while you were worried about global thermonuclear war, but I think we're in a much more dangerous world now, don't you think? All right. It's 2.18. Thank you for letting me tell you my thoughts about barbarism And if you think for one second that we are genetically, morally, emotionally, theologically, psychologically better than generations past and that we have moved beyond barbarism, all I would say to you is go on Twitter and look at the celebrations, look at that girl with the machine gun earrings saying Hamas would never do those things. But if they did, they were totally justified. How do you split a difference with that one? You know, Germany and France have been at war. And part of NATO, and part of the European Union project was to fuse those two countries, to fuse France and Germany politically, economically. I forget who said it. Was it Milton Friedman or was it uh, some other free market philosopher who said Where goods don't cross borders, soldiers will. It was his way of saying, let's do so much trade with each other, let's become so integrated with each other that we'll never go to war with each other. And there was a saying for a while that no two countries with a McDonald's ever went to war against each other. Have you ever heard that before? That was a real Cold War saying. That if McDonald's was in your country, it was proof you were in this post-history world where we were all just consumers and you would never fight each other because you're going to lose money if you do and money is the highest object that's what a rational man would think a rational man would put the pursuit of prosperity above other prehistoric grievances above above other tribal quarrels and the thinking i think behind the european union was germany and france are they really that different they're both Christian. They're both Western. They're, they speak similar languages, like not completely. It's not like Chinese and English or Arabic and, you know, Portuguese. It's comp- they're, they're actually similar. Culturally, they're similar. If we can just get these guys integrated, they'll, they're, they're cousins, really. Brothers, almost. But are there some differences that can't be patched over? that young woman with the machine gun earrings, if you said, we'll give you a 20% increase in pay, uh, will you work for a Jewish boss? Or will you work for a Jewish company? Or something like that. Are you kidding? She just said raping women, raping children, mutilating babies, everything they did was defensible. Do you think she cares about a 20% increase in, in, in her paycheck? She has a deeper barbarism that is much more tenacious than, hey, there's, get your new uh, download of this app. There's a new update ready on your app. Just download it. Okay, she'll do that, and she'll also indulge her ancient barbarism. Frankly I'd like to see what Mel Gibson has to say about the current uh, current state of affairs I'd like to see what he has to say about it I really would Because I think he's known for decades the problem we're in Don't you think? That's my show for today I'll be back at 8 p.m. Eastern Time With what I call the Ezra Show. It's behind a paywall The audio podcast is free But the paywall version Is the video version And you can get that by going to rebelnewsplus.com and clicking subscribe. Until tonight, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, goodbye, and
1: keep fighting for freedom. Justin Trudeau's new censorship law, Bill C-18, it's a shakedown and a desperate attempt to keep the mainstream media afloat. Many have already lost their ability to access our Facebook and Instagram pages. The blackout will soon affect every user in Canada. We've partnered with Private Internet Access, a VPN provider dedicated to safeguarding digital privacy. For just $2 a month, you can maintain your access to our content across all your devices at piavpn.com slash rebelnews.